morning. Happy Easter to you. Happy Resurrection Day. So glad you are with us. If you are, you know, maybe somebody brought you. My name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here. So excited you're here. I'd love to meet you in the patio afterwards. And so please don't be shy. I am just like you. I'm a father. I have four children. Uh, many of you probably have experienced something like this when you get home after work and there's that first 10 or 15 minutes with your kids. And there's some kind of fun interactions that go on. I, of course, have four rambunctious kids, and so somebody's gonna say something out of place in that scenario. And in our particular house, uh, my youngest one is kind of uh, the one who will make the snooty comment just to make a rise out of you, or say something just to get you going. And there's some fun interactions that I end up having with you know, father-daughter conversations or father-son conversations. Nevaeh, my eight-year-old, will almost always do something do something just to, 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 to get a rise out of me and try to, try to get my blood boiling or something like that, tease me or something like that. And I'll usually say something like this to her. You know, little girl, I will knock you out so fast. I, I will knock you out so, you won't even know because you'll already be knocked out. That's how fast I will knock you out. And, uh, and, and, so the, and she goes, oh yeah, daddy? And then she does this whole thing with her head right now, and she like snaps, and I don't, you know, I don't know where she learned that stuff. Well, I will knock you out so fast, Daddy, and it'll be so fast, you'll be knocked out. You won't even know it. You know why, Daddy? Because you're knocked out. I'm like, wait a second. I just said that. You can't use the same thing I said back at me. That's not how it works. But you're eight years old, so I'm not going to argue with an eight-year-old. You, you have to come up with something new. You can't take my line and then use it as, as if it's yours and you get credit for it. And so we go through this little interaction back and forth, and, and finally Sebastian, my, my, my next oldest, he's 10 years old, he'll, he'll, say, he'll be there laughing at that whole interaction. I'm like, what are you laughing at, little punk? <laughs> yeah. I will break your filthy wrist. <laughs> That's what I tell him. You know? and, and he has a different strategy. He'll go, prove it. Like he knows I can't prove it. You know, I, 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 I break your filthy wrist. Oh, no, prove it, Daddy, prove it. I bet you can't. I bet you won't. I bet you can't do that. And, and he's right, I can't do it. And so I look at him and I go, you know what? I will knock you out so fast. <laughs> you ever had those interactions with your kids? Fun stuff that goes on. <laughs> and, and you ever have a kid like call you on your bluff? Prove it, Daddy, prove it. I bet you can't do that. Literally calling me on my bluff knowing that I can't do it. And I think sometimes if we're honest, and maybe there's been many times, if we're honest with ourselves, we actually take that posture with God sometimes. Like, God, prove it. Prove yourself to me. I bet you can't. And we take that posture, and if you did, I'd believe in you, and if you did, I'd follow you, and prove it. If you will prove yourself to me, then I will be an obedient follower. And today we're gonna to spend some time focusing on the best proof we have in validating or authenticating our faith. What is the greatest evidence we have for our faith? And are there, are there any ways to explain away that evidence? What, are, what things testify to the truth that is written in our scriptures, our Bible? And are there any other plausible alternative views on that? What proof did God leave us, and what would the skeptics say about that proof? That's what we're going to look at today as we turn in our Bibles and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to open up your Bible right now, get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your phone with you, you have the version app, 
encourage you, open up, get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, and really, kind of what we're looking at today is the case for the physical slash bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to make a case for the physical, that is bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, how, the Bible seems to claim that this man that was dead came to life. Uh, what, if we were to be in a, in a judicial setting and we made a case for it, what would that look like? Number one, we're going to see that if there's no resurrection, then what do you do with all the witnesses? So we're making a case. We're building a case point by point. The first thing, if there's no resurrection, then what do you do with all the witnesses? What do you do with all the witnesses? And that's what Paul seems to point out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Why don't you follow along as I read. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you, which, on, on which you have taken your stand. By the gospel, by this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I have received I passed on to you as of first importance, that is, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter, and then the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. That's Paul's way of saying, if you read Paul's literature in, 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 in the New Testament, he always places himself below all the rest of the apostles. I'm the one that's abnormally born. I wasn't there when Jesus did his whole ministry on the earth. I came on the scene afterwards. I'm the one who persecuted the church, and God had to get a hold of me. And so I'm, I put, put me on the lesser level of apostles, just the way of him being humble about it. The case for the physical and bodily resurrection of Christ. Number one, if there's no resurrection, then what do you do with all the witnesses? And that's what he seems to be saying. Hey, this is the gospel I preach to you. I'm giving you only what I've received. I'm giving it all straight to you. The scriptures attest to this. There was this guy who came on earth named Jesus Christ. He came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, then was buried, and then was resurrected. That is the gospel. All of it, not just portions of it. That's all of it, and that's what I've given to you. And by the way, after he was resurrected, he started meeting with people. He started hanging out with people. In fact, one of the most significant things that he says is he, he, he was seen by 500 different people. And we have other passages of Scripture that attest to this in the, the book of Acts and whatnot that we see these interactions with the risen Jesus Christ. But that's not even the biggest point he makes. I don't know if you caught it in there. It wasn't that he saw 500 different people. It's that some of them are still living. Did you see that? Some of which are still alive, although some have passed away. So the idea was, if you're wondering, at some point in the Corinthian church, for some reason, they're saying, oh, you know, we buy into this whole Jesus thing, but we just don't buy into the whole resurrection thing. Something was something like that, some kind of new theology was coming out. And so we buy into Jesus, but we don't buy into this idea that he rose from the dead. And, and he's saying, oh, if you don't buy into it, why don't you just go back to the 500 people that he spoke to and talk to them? That's what he's saying to them. Now, you got to understand, we believe that, that the book of 1 Corinthians was probably written around 55, 56 A.D. Jesus Christ died in about 33 A.D., approximately 33 A.D. So about 20 years' time span makes perfect sense that you can go back and go talk to the guys that saw him. 
This is really interesting for those who believe that, that, oh, well, you know, this whole faith thing is all a legend. It was just a legend. Well, you can't build a legend in 20 years. You need at least 200 years to build a legend. Paul is actually saying one of my proofs to you that he rose from the dead is you can go back to the 500 people he talked to and you can ask them yourself. See what they say. If, if there's the resurrection or not, if there is a resurrection or not. He's making a provocative point that if he didn't rise from the dead, then why are all these people saying they saw him? The case for the physical and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, number one, if there's no resurrection, then what do you do with all the witnesses? Number two, if there's no resurrection, then we have been conned into religious futility. If there's no resurrection, then we have been conned into a religious futility. And actually, that's actually what Paul says. It's almost verbatim his words. Let's go to verse 12. It says this. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has, uh, the, the not even Christ has been written, risen. And if Christ has not been risen, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is what? Futile and you're still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all men. <laughs> if, if all believing in Jesus does is give us a better life on earth, then that's, what a pity. There's a use, it's useless, it's pointless if he didn't rise from the dead. His point is simple. No resurrection equals futile faith. No resurrection, futile faith. Futile, the idea of not bearing any results, being empty, without success, without cause. There's nothing there to believe in if he didn't rise from the dead. You can't say I believe in the message of Jesus, but I just reject this whole, rejection, this whole resurrection piece. No, the resurrection is what validates and authenticates everything he said and everything he did. It must be true. In fact, I'm gonna make kind of a shocking statement to make on Easter in church uh, as your pastor. If you can come up with a plausible explanation to what happened to that body, the body of Jesus Christ, besides the fact that he was resurrected, if we look at it at this angle, if you can come up with a plausible explanation, what happened to his body, I will leave the Christian faith. I'll leave it. Because why? why? Whoa, pastor, why would you do that? Because I agree with Paul that if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we have nothing to believe in. It's literally, everything rides on this fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, otherwise we worship a dead God. He has to have risen from the grave. So if you can give me a plausible explanation as to what happened to that body, then you can actually get your pastor to leave the faith. No resurrection equals futile faith. It is the single greatest piece of evidence that we have as Christians. If he wasn't resurrected, where did the body go? Where'd it go? If he wasn't raised from the dead, what happened to his body? We're actually gonna 
spend some time on this. I really want to, I want to really want to kind of let this point marinate in your heart a little bit. We're going to kind of come from a backwards situation. We're going to look at the problem kind of backwards. It's called a, a negative apologetic. And we're just going to look at it this way. Let's presuppose that Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. Okay, just for a second. I know we're not supposed to do that on Easter. Let's just presuppose that for a second. And let's talk about what happened to the body if he didn't rise from the dead. Now, we're 2,000 years into this thing. You better believe there's been theories for 2,000 years as to what happened to the body of Jesus if he was not resurrected. And so we're going to go through them one by one. I'm going to explain them to you. And then we're going to just look at the plausible theories as to what happened to his body if he didn't rise from the dead. And again, if you can come up with one that's plausible, I'll leave the faith. Here we go. Number one, the wrong tomb theory. We went over this a little bit in the book of Mark if you were here in our series of the book of Mark. Uh, the wrong tomb theory basically is this idea that the women went to uh, Jesus' tomb on Sunday to anoint his body, but they went to the wrong tomb. They just happened to go on the wrong tomb, and so really it's just a big mistake. This whole legend about Jesus Christ is just a mistake. The problem with that is that Mark seems to go so, if you remember being here, he's so meticulous about these points, about where the women were before the crucifixion of Christ, where the women were during the crucifixion of Christ, and how they were watching him be buried. He goes step by step to say that. And you go, oh, but, but David, you don't understand. I don't believe the Bible. So, so why would I believe whatever Mark says? That's okay. You don't have to believe the Bible. Just understand this. If it really was just that the women went to the wrong tomb, it'd be easy to rectify that situation. You just go, oh, here's the right tomb. And by the way, there's his body. And once you produce the body, the whole movement's over. And so the wrong tomb theory doesn't seem to jive doesn't seem to, to, to really connect there. Well, if it was the wrong tomb, then let's show us the right tomb and show us his body. Let's go to the next one. This is a good one. It's called the apparent death swoon theory. This is the idea that Jesus Christ wasn't fully dead on the cross, that they took him down on the cross prematurely before he had died, and then they put him in the tomb, and he actually was alive, and he resuscitated himself and got himself out. So when they see him again, it wasn't like he had resurrected. He just wasn't ever dead. Now, again, if you were here in our Mark series and you went through with us what happened at his flogging and his crucifixion and how they would flog him with this whip with bones and, 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 and pieces of glass and rock and metal, and they would latch onto your back and then scrape it off until your back, the flesh and the muscles on your back were like hamburger meat. That's what, and that's why he couldn't carry the cross all the way to Calvary because his back literally is in shreds, bloody ribbons. And then they put him on the cross. They nailed him up there. And then we talked about crucifixion, which is just uh, death by asphyxiation. That guy goes into a coma-like state, goes, plays in the tomb, all of a sudden resuscitates himself and is able to move the stone. This half-dead person can go all of a sudden. Remember the stone is put in a ditch kind of a thing. It's like in a pivot. So, so they roll the stone into this ditch. And somehow inside the tomb, he's able, to, without any kind of leverage, roll that stone away. By the way, he's half-dead at this time as well. Really? I mean, that seems like a lot to believe in, that all of a sudden, he, well, he wasn't completely dead, he was just half dead, and, and, and by the way, once he gets out, how inspiring is that? A walking dead man is, you know, it just doesn't seem to connect all the way. How could this half dead guy have done all that? There's another theory called the authority theft theory. This is the idea that the authorities stole the body so they can control the story. They can control the story of Jesus. 
And so if we have the body, we can control the story. But this doesn't make sense either because they are the ones who went to Pilate at the very end of the book of Matthew. And they said, hey, you got to put some guards in front of the tomb because he said he was going to rise again. we got to make sure he doesn't rise again because if he rises again, everybody's going to go, look, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. So it doesn't make sense for the authorities to say, we'll be the ones who steal the body because all we're doing is we're making his prediction accurate. And by the way, when... This whole story comes that Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen. It's going. It's spreading like wildfire. Everybody's, everybody's believing in it, and they're leaving their Jewish faith to, to go believe in this new Christian thing called Christianity. At that point, the religious leaders certainly would go, wait a second. We stole the body. Look, here he is. He's not alive. At some point, they would have a desire and a motivation to produce the body because they're losing their influence they're losing their esteem, they're losing their fame, they're losing their money. That's all the things that they hated about Jesus, and that happens even more after when Jesus is gone because there's this whole story out there that he rose from the dead. Certainly they would have a motivation to say, no, no, he didn't rise, here's the body. Finally, that's probably the, the, most, uh, the most frequently used one, is called the conspiracy theory. This is a theory that the disciples themselves stole the body in order to propagate a legend or a lie. And so the disciples come back and they steal the body and then we can pretend that Jesus rose from the dead and then we can make sure that this story lives on. Probably the most popular of all of them. Interestingly enough, this would mean that the disciples turn their backs on everything that Jesus Christ has ever taught them. Like the morality that Jesus Christ taught, we're just gonna turn away on all that stuff and we're gonna believe this lie. Secondly, we have to believe that somehow these, uh, you know, kind of lower class fishermen are able to take out these um, trained assassins in the Roman guard that was in front of the tomb. So somehow these guys who, you know, have no training are taking these guys out who are assassins. All right, let's just say that happens as well. Most compelling about this one is this. If you know Christian history, 10 of 11 of these guys die for this thing. Peter was crucified upside down because he said, yeah, go ahead and kill me, but I don't want to die in the same way Jesus did because I'm not worthy of him, so would you crucify me upside down? I want to die differently. I'm not worried about dying. I just don't want to die in the same way that Jesus died. That's what he was worried about. He dies for this. They all end up dying. Only one out of the 11 that are left, because remember, Judas killed himself, one out of the 11 that are left, John, ends up being uh, you know, banished into the island of Patmos. It would really be a modern-day prison, a life term in prison. And so all of them have to deal significantly because they're going to believe in this thing and propagate that this Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. They either die or are, are wrongfully imprisoned for the rest of their life. Not one of them would say, you know what, the whole thing was a lie. I want my life back. Can I have my wife and my kids? Can I see them again? Not one of them. All 11 of them die for this thing in one shape or form or another. Let me tell you something, guys. No one dies for a lie. This is America. No one dies for a lie. I mean, you can't, you live in a day and age where you can't even get people to lie for their president. Imagine lying, dying for a lie. No one dies for a lie. And so all the players in the narrative have some kind of motivation to produce a stolen body. In fact, I want to just go through them real quick. The Romans, their whole thing is keep the peace and keep the taxes rolling. Uh, 
this whole story about Jesus Christ. Now he's resurrected again. Everybody's like, man, this mob's over here. All this upheaval, this religious instability. Oh my gosh, it's going to cause us a problem. All we want is the taxes to come. Hey, everybody, we have the body. Here's the body. So now you guys can go back to normal life. The Romans would have motivation to produce the body. The religious leaders, they want to keep the spiritual authority over the people. That's why they ran Jesus off. That's their whole thing. How do we keep our spiritual authority? How do we keep our fame? How do we keep our position? We run off the challengers. And as soon as Jesus Christ's legend comes out that he's been risen again, oh my gosh, this is worse than when he was alive. Oh, I know what we'll do. Here's the body. Got it. He never rose again because here's the body. And it would literally end the movement. And then, of course, you have the disciples who apparently were so bought into this lie that 11 out of 11 say, we die for this thing, we're banished for this thing, and not one of them, not one of them says, you know, the whole thing was a ruse. The whole thing, we just wanted to get popular. We just wanted, we just wanted to build something that would be gone when we are gone, and go ahead and kill us for it. No one does that. Even they, you put somebody, you know, put a gun to somebody's head, they'll tell you the truth if it means they can live. Which kind of brings me to the big idea. It's on the screen for you. It says this. You must account for the body of Jesus Christ. Where'd the body go? You must account for the body of Jesus Christ. Where did the body go? Who has it? Somebody tell me a plausible explanation. Who has that body? Where did it go? You must account for the body of Jesus Christ. Where did it go? You know, some of you might say, but you don't understand, Pastor David. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in the Bible. Here's the beautiful thing.